We're going to be, uh, again, in Matthew 4.23. Our second part, sort of in this little mini-series and a series of what Jesus, a summary of what Jesus did, how he engaged his world. Matthew 4.23, And he went throughout Galilee, all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every affliction among the people. This summary statement includes three ways that Jesus engaged his world. He taught, he proclaimed the gospel, and he healed the sick. And last week we looked at the first two, the teaching and proclaiming ministry of Jesus, teaching the word, his preaching the gospel. The focus was on Jesus as he engaged his world with the word of God. And last week, I pointed out that we, like Jesus, should follow his example. We should be like him. That we should take every opportunity to teach God's word to the people of our world as we engage our world. That we should make every effort to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth that Jesus Christ came and he he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for the sins of humanity. And that's pretty clear, right? Christians throughout history would be in almost, there's a few odd ones, almost unanimous agreement here. The church is called to engage its world with the truth of the gospel, with the word of God. We're called, commanded to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take it to the ends of the earth. Agreed? Same page, amen, hallelujah. But now we come to the third way that Jesus engaged his world. That is, healing every disease and every affliction among people. This is a little trickier. This can and has led to a lot of discussion and even division in the church, even among uh, evangelicals, those that would consider those that would agree that we're to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, those that would agree that this is the word of God, there's been issues regarding this idea of healing. Basically, the issue is this. Should we today follow Jesus' example and engage our world by healing every disease and every affliction among people? And what I'd like to do this morning is look at that question. I want to specifically address whether healing and really signs and wonders that Jesus and the apostles, Jesus and his apostles. Now, the apostles were those that walked with Jesus, call them the 12 disciples, and then we have add in the apostle Paul, the apostles, these guys that, that were in direct contact with Jesus. Are healing and really signs and wonders that Jesus and the apostles performed, are they something that we should see in the church today? Then I want to look, take a step beyond that miraculous aspect of Jesus' ministry of healing and look at what it says to us about engaging our world. So let's begin with the question. Are signs and wonders for today? Big question, big question. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you know anything about it, 
you know that it's full of the miraculous. Not just healing the sick, but sick, other signs and wonders. Jesus turned water into wine, if you'll remember. He, he caused fish somehow to be jump into this net, this miraculous catch of fish. He, caused, he calmed a, a storm with just words. He walked on water. That, that weird little miracle, he withered a, a fig tree with just his words. He fed 4,000 and then 5,000 with just a few loaves and fishes. And both Jesus and his apostles, his direct followers, over and over again, the New Testament records, they healed the sick, they gave sight to the blind, they cast out demons, and yes, even on several occasions, they raised the dead. This was clearly part of their strategy for engaging their world. We see it in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 3... Peter and John, two of the apostles, get arrested. They're in a, they're in a, uh, they go to the temple, and there before them is a, a lame beggar, and they heal this lame beggar, and a crowd gathers around, and they begin to pl- proclaim the gospel. They begin to share about Jesus Christ. And this call catches the attention of the Jewish religious leaders, and they come and they take them away. They take them to their, their council. They sort of arrest them. And while in that council, they command them, they command Peter and John not to speak again about Jesus, not to teach about Jesus. We don't want to hear anymore about Jesus. But Peter and John respond by saying, we must obey God rather than men. So that's the background to that story, to what, what comes next. They are then released and they return and to the hang out with their fellow believers. And one of the things they, they did was they prayed. The, the, all, they all joined together and prayed. And in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, we have their prayer and then the, really the answer to the prayer right there. And now the Lord, excuse me, their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the, whole, the, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the kind of prayer we should be praying today. Should we pray for boldness to speak the word of God and the ability that signs and wonders would be performed through us? Or should we just be praying for for boldness to speak the Word of God? I want us to understand this isn't a simple question. This is a little different than normal uh, Sundays. Normally, I'm pretty confident and preach the Gospel, the Word of God, and and you you have to believe it because it's right there in the book. This is a little more controversial, and so we're going to have to handle this a little differently. This is something I've wrestled with throughout my Christian life. There are many books by evangelical pastors and leaders, good men of God. Some say that signs and wonders like healing were designed by God to establish the authority of the one who performs the miracle. This would be true both in the Old Testament with Moses and Joshua and some of the prophets. 
And it would be true in the New Testament with Jesus and the apostles. The miracles establish the fact that this person is truly sent from God and therefore should be listened to. His message is authorized by his miracles. So Jesus' miracles establish the fact that what he says is true. That he was and is the Son of God. And the miracles also establish the authority behind the teachings and writings of the apostles. That their words, what they taught, and their writings were from God. But after the apostles died and their writings were gathered into the New Testament, the authority now moves from the messenger to the message of the the New Testament. Therefore, the need for signs and wonders is past. And we should not seek them today. But there are others, so that's one view. But there are others who argue signs and wonders should be sought in the church today. Should be performed in the name of Jesus. They say that the reason we don't see them is because there's just this lack of expectancy. This lack of of faith in the church. There is... They're appropriate to seek God for signs and wonders, specifically for healing. That that the gospel, again, might be preached. That these signs and wonders would, would cause people to come and hear the gospel, just like it was done in Jesus' day. Now, as I said, this is a sort of a difficult issue to think about, to understand. In fact, I tend to end up somewhere in the middle. So what I want to do this morning is to show you some, I believe, biblical evidence for both of these positions. And I pray, I mean, the the reason there's controversy is because there's evidence for both. And I I want us to be aware of that. And I would pray that through our study, that the Lord would give you insight, not, not just into the theological answer to the question, are signs and wonders for today, but what does it mean for us practically as we seek to engage our world. Let me begin with the view that that says signs and wonders have ceased. Now, we need to be clear what this means, what what the people that hold this view are saying. need to be clear and fair. This view doesn't say that no more miracles, that miracles don't happen. It just says that miracles, signs and wonders, are not the typical or normal way ministry is done. God still does the miraculous. He just doesn't do it in the same clear, dramatic fashion that he did with Jesus and the apostles. For example, in our church, this church, we recently had what I heard a number of people call um, a miracle. And that was the healing of, of Corinne, Gary and Patty's daughter. This view would agree that God was involved And God was responsible for Corinne's amazing recovery. That God responded to the prayers of his people and he brought Corinne back from the brink of of death. But it would say, also say, that God didn't do it through one person going into her room, laying hands on her when she was still unconscious, and saying like the apostles did in Acts chapter 3. Remember that lame beggar? This is how they healed him. They said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have for you, to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the guy immediately rises up and walks. We didn't see that 
kind of miracle with Corinne. Instead, Corinne's miraculous recovery took place and is taking place over a period of time. It was dramatic, but not in the same way as it was what we saw with Jesus and the apostles. This view says that the healing ministry of Jesus and the apostles was unique. Signs and wonders were were not done by Christians in general, but were the signs of Jesus and his apostles. And when the apostles died out, signs and wonders died out in in that dramatic way. So let me give you four pieces of evidence from Scripture. Well, three from Scripture and one from history for that. First, the special ministry of Jesus and the apostles. In response to a group of people who came to Jesus and said, tell us clearly, are, are you the Christ? We, we need to know, are you the Christ? Jesus says this in John chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. He said, if I am doing the works of my Father, then do, excuse me, I need to read that key word, not. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Now, Jesus was teaching some radical things, claiming some radical authority. And in this passage, he specifically says that if he didn't do the works of the Father, things that only God can do, signs and wonders, healings and miracles, then they did not have to believe his words. But since he was doing the works of the Father, they should believe his words. The works, the signs and wonders, were for the special purpose of validating the fact that the the fact of his words, what he said, the fact that his words were from God. And that continues in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it it looks like Luke, the author, wants us to see signs and wonders not as a common occurrence among Christians in general, but as a special ministry of the apostles. First of all, Luke, in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, reminds us of what Jesus has just said in John chapter 10. Luke says, Luke writes, Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. Jesus' mighty works attested to the truth of his words. That was their purpose. Then Luke, throughout his book, shows the special importance of signs and wonders in the, in, in the ministry of the apostles. Just a couple examples. Chapter 2, verse 43 of of Acts. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. In both of these verses, the signs and wonders were done by the apostles, not, not just any believer. Then in chapter 15, verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This implies that signs and wonders were were something remarkable, not something being done daily by the the average Christian. So it seems that signs and wonders had a special role in the ministry of Jesus and the apostles. That role was to validate 
their authority as men who were sent from God, spoke for God, and in the case of the apostles, wrote the Word of God, were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God in the New Testament. This suggests that neither then nor today were signs and wonders intended to be the normal part of the church, how the church engaged its world. So that's the first evidence for the miracles, the signs and wonders have ceased. Second piece of evidence, and these aren't all the pieces of evidence in either case. These are just four in each case that I I found helpful. In 2 Corinthians 12.12, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he's defending his apostleship. He's defending the fact that he is one of these special guys called out by Jesus Christ. He writes this, The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles, were done among you with great perseverance. Paul says that the evidence of his authenticity, the fact that he's an apostle, is that he's done signs and wonders and miracles among them. So it looks like signs and wonders were specially for apostles to validate their authority. The third piece of evidence is found in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The author writes, This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard it. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts to the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It looks like, as the author's writing, he's he's talking about what happened in the past. That the miracles were not an everyday occurrence in the church in that day. That something the church looked back on with as a special time. When the eyewitnesses of the Lord first brought the gospel forth. And the final piece of evidence is there's really no parallel in church history. This isn't in the Bible, this is just church history. Since the time of apostles, there's never been anyone that we know of, that regularly healed people the way Jesus and the apostles did. We hear stories of healings, and I'm not here. I mean, as we look at the second uh, view, I'm not disputing that at all. I'm just saying it's not the same. Nobody says it's the same as what we saw with Jesus and the apostles. That is instantly, just automatically, you say the word and they rise completely. There's There's no, oh, are they healed or not? And in the hardest cases, I mean, arms coming back, People that have never seen before, all of a sudden seeing. Most healing since the days of the apostles deals with the easier cases, or at least the ones that aren't quite as dramatic. Sometimes it fails, doesn't quite work out, and it doesn't happen instantly. This doesn't mean it's unreal, but it does mean that it's a different thing. It's of a different order than the signs and wonders of Jesus and the apostles. So for these reasons, these four that I've talked about and and others, some believers say that signs and wonders ceased as a normal part of the ministry when the apostles finished their work. Therefore, that's not something we should really be pursuing today. Now the other, so that's one view. Got that? The other view says that we should see more signs and wonders today than we do. This view says that signs and wonders are given both for the blessing of the church and for the spread of the gospel. 
Here are some of the reasons that these this, 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 that this view demands serious consideration. Can't just dismiss it. First, Jesus does seem to teach there should be a continuity, a continuing in the same fashion, in the same order between his own ministry and the ongoing ministry of the church. Content, continuity between Jesus and the church. In, in chapter 20, verse 21 of the Gospel of John, Jesus says this. He says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The Father sent me, and I, I've worked in this world in this way, and I'm sending you in the same way. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And then in Luke chapter 10, verse 9, when Jesus sent out the 70, this, wasn't, this was 70, this wasn't the apostles, he sends out 70, he commanded them, wherever they entered a town, heal the sick, who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. So the preaching of the kingdom seems to be closely linked to the ministry of healing. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The point is, the same gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached is to be preached until All nations have heard it. And it would seem natural. The natural extension would be that the gospel would be spread in pretty much the same way that Jesus spread it. And as we saw, as he he did, and as he sent out the 70, it it was spread by the miraculous and then the preaching of the word. This seems to suggest continuity between the signs and wonders of Jesus and the ministry of those who believe, not just the apostles. Jesus never says anything about, about the work, his work, his ministry of healing coming to an end. The Father sent me, and I'm sending you. I want you to do what I did, except for this one area. Nothing, nothing is said about that. So the, the continuity, that's the first piece of evidence. The second piece of evidence is the fact there was not just the apostles that did signs and wonders. We already talked about the 70, and that's kind of, uh, okay, sent them out, and we're assuming they did these things. There's no examples. But signs and wonders were done by non-apostles. In the early church, the apostles got to be overworked. They were doing too much. They were teaching continuously. They were praying They were healing, they were doing, and then they were doing all the manual labor stuff. They were setting up the the distribution of the food to the widows and the orphans. So in Luke, so in Luke, Acts chapter 6, Luke records this wise thing that took place. That they decided that they would appoint seven men to be in charge of the distribution, the, the manual labor stuff. So they could, the apostles could devote themselves specifically to the, the preaching and teaching of the word and prayer. So they appointed these seven men. Two of these men uh, were Stephen and Philip. And we see scripture that they too did signs and wonders as part of their ministry. Acts chapter 6 verse 8, Luke says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And then in Acts chapter 8 verse 6 it says, When the crowd heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. Notice the point there. The miraculous signs led to paying close attention to what he said. 
Because if, if somebody's going to do some miraculous stuff, you know, some blind guy is here, some lame cripple is here that we've all known for that person's life for many years, and one of us comes and says, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk, and he rises and walk. You know, you better listen to what that guy says. The power of God. God is validating what he said. So, in this case, this is done by non-apostles. Peter, um, excuse me, Stephen and Philip. So the third piece of evidence, and now the third piece of evidence, that was the second. The third is found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul's writing to the church in, in Galatia. Your average Galatian Christian. Paul writes, Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? The point is that God gives his spirit to the Galatians, not just to the apostles, and works miracles among them when Paul apparently isn't even there. So the working of, of miracles doesn't seem to be limited to the ministry of the apostles in the early church. And finally, fourth piece of evidence... Maybe the best piece of evidence. 1 Corinthians 12. Paul teaches that, the, that in the church there are gifts. There's all kinds of gifts. And those gifts include healing and miracles for various believers, not just for the apostles. Chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another miraculous powers. It seems clear that there were gifts of healing and and miracles in the general church population, not just the apostles. That's the fourth piece of evidence. It seems fairly strong to me. So for reasons like this, for evidence like this, some believers say that signs and wonders were not limited to the apostles or even to the age of the apostles, but are available today and should be sought. We should seek after those things for the good of the church and for the spread of the gospel. Okay, that's both views. You guys got it? You figured it out? So what what do we say? What conclusions and application can we draw from this? As we think about modeling the ministry of Jesus and the apostles as well, the question comes, should signs and wonders, healing, be something we seek as we engage our world? And based on our study of Scripture, I would say this. It's clear to me we need to recognize and honor the uniqueness of Jesus and the apostles. They were at a special moment in history. Jesus was a a God incarnate among us. His apostles were those first men who were preaching of his resurrection and setting forth the, the new faith in the New Testament. So, So the way God worked miracles through them is probably very unique. Also, I don't believe that we don't see see dramatic signs and wonders because we lack faith. Throughout church history, there have been many men and women of great faith. Faith that 
cost them their lives. Faith that they were willing to give up everything for Jesus Christ, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And, and there were, as far as we know, no miracles done in their lives. I, I, you, know, you might be able to accuse yourself of not having great faith, but I'm not going to put that on theirs. And I even believe there are people in our church today that have great faith. We need to recognize something, and this to me is, is, is key. We need to recognize that it's God who gives faith. It's God who gives the gift and the power. It's God who works the signs and wonders through individuals. So if we're not seeing signs and wonders in our world today, or at least in our part of the world where we're at today, and if we don't see, I, I would conclude it's because God is sovereign over that. And at this time and in this place, for his purposes, that's not something he wants to do. But that's not to say that he can't. And it's not to say that he won't. We should be open to the real possibility that God can use signs and wonders in our day. At some point, it may be God's purpose to give in a greater way gifts of healing and miracles. At some point, God may wish to use signs and wonders to engage the world. And I'm speaking for us. I don't believe we should be closed off to that possibility. Now, let's not forget what we're talking about here, what led us to this point. Let's not get bogged down just in this question of, okay, should I do miracles? Should I not? Should I seek them? Should I not? What we're talking about is the fact that signs and wonders and healings, we're talking about that because this is the way Jesus engaged his world. Remember Matthew 4.23, the summary. He taught, he proclaimed the gospel, and he healed. It seemed to be Jesus' outreach strategy, right? Teaching, proclaiming the gospel, healing, gather. I don't know, in, 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 not always the same order, but oftentimes the, the, the miracle would happen and people would go, whoa, and then they would listen to what he had to say from the word and as he proclaimed the gospel. Now, we've spent some time talking about whether, as we engage our world, we should seek to do the third one, the, the healing aspect of Jesus' strategy to engage his world. And I think we've concluded, or at least I've concluded, that we should be open to the possibility if God gifts us to do those things. But what do we do in the meantime? It's a let me back up to that. It's a God. It's a, he's sovereign. And if God desires for us to be doing those things, we'll be doing those things. God can work. If he wants signs and wonders to happen in this place today. He'll make it happen. But what do we do in the meantime? Do we ignore that third way that Jesus engaged his world? Do we focus only on the teaching and the proclaiming? And I would say no. I would say that even though we might not be able to heal in the same way Jesus did, we can still follow Jesus' example. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus engage his world by healing every disease and every affliction among people? Now, I would say there are two answers to that question. First, 
We've talked about this. Jesus healed that he might show, even prove, that he was a man sent from God, that he was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah, that he was God the Son, that his words could be believed because of the works that he did. John chapter 10, verses 37 and 38. And we have a similar opportunity, not in such a dramatic fashion, but if we want our words to be believed, to have credibility, to have some authority behind them, then we need to back them up with works. What kind of works? That brings us to what I believe is the second reason that Jesus was healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Yes, he was establishing his authority, but he was doing it by dramatically meeting people's needs. He could have chosen to do other kinds of signs and wonders to validate his authority. In fact, he did a few times. He turned water into wine. He walked on the water. He calmed a storm. He withered a fig tree. He caused fish to appear in a net. He fed the 4,000, the 5,000. Now, even, even most of these meet a certain kind of human need. But the vast majority, the vast, vast, those are in many ways if you can say, exceptions to the rule. In the vast majority, Jesus' miracles were in the area of healing. Healing lepers, healing the paralyzed, growing back a withered arm, causing the blind to see, and more. Casting out demons, which was is not only a physical, caused physical sickness, but a spiritual sickness. Now, why was healing the main way that Jesus chose to show the works of the Father? There are a number of places in the gospel that tell us, but Matthew 14, 14 is the clearest and the shortest. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Jesus healed because he had compassion on people. Jesus engaged his world by showing compassion and even mercy to those in great need. And he taught his disciples to do the same. In Matthew chapter 10, we find Jesus sending the, the twelve this time. Out, he's sending them out to preach the gospel. And in verses 7 and 8, he says, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus gave his disciples the authority to preach the word and to validate that message He gave them the authority to do the works of God. And for them, those works were healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing those who had leprosy, driving out demons. Now, if God gives you or me the authority to do signs and and wonders, then that's what we should be about doing as we preach the gospel. But until then, we have the authority and the mission to proclaim the gospel with words and to do works of compassion and mercy as well. Think beyond the the miraculous for a, a moment. Think about what Jesus was calling these disciples to do. He's calling them, if you're going to heal someone, you have to go to those people. Those are the people Jesus calls them to go to. Go to the, the diseased. So engage the sick, not the healthy, the sick. Go to those who are dying. Go to the despised, the lepers. We need to understand, you you didn't just go hang out with lepers. You don't get near lepers. 
You avoid them. They're unclean and they're contagious and you could become a leper. You don't even get close to them. Jesus says, disciples, get close to them. Get close to the people that nobody else would ever get close to. You go to them. Go to the despised. Go to the dirty. The demon-possessed. Those were the most. They had opened themselves up to Satan and his demonic forces. Those were the, the quintessential sinners of the day. Go to them. Jesus is saying, go to the people that the world ignores, the world oppresses, and the world hates. You go to those people. Not the people that it's easy to go to, but the people that it's hard to go to. Not the places of small need, but the places of great need. Go to great need. And I believe that's our our main application today, in our place, in our time. As we apply Jesus' ministry of works, we may not be able to do dramatic healings, but we can have dramatic compassion on people in need. And that compassion will mean some things in your life, some changes in your life, sacrificially meeting the needs of others. And as we do, we allow God to work in us and show compassion to others, others that the world has given up on, we gain credibility. We gain credibility to proclaim the gospel. As we, perf- as, as we perform works of compassion, God will give us credibility and opportunity to speak words of salvation. I'm going to ask John Byers to come forward and He's going to lead us this morning in our time of communion and in our time of remembering the work of the Lord as we partake from the communion table. And as John comes and as we share communion together, I would encourage you to examine examine your heart. As I've been examining my heart this past week. Think about who you know that needs the words of God, the words of truth, the words of salvation, and what works of compassion can you do in their lives? Maybe even think beyond your normal circles of influence. You may not be God's instrument to perform great signs and wonders, but you are God's instrument to perform great acts of compassion. Let's pray to that end this morning. Father God, we come before you. We call on you to transform us into people who not can do great signs and wonders unless that's your purpose for us, Father, but people who have hearts of compassion like Jesus did, who saw the masses and wept, who saw them, and with compassion he healed their sick, he cast out demons, he cared for them, Lord, that we would be people that care. Give us those kind of... The heart has to come from you, Lord. We can't just get a checklist going. Things we need to do now. We need to have a heart, a heart of compassion for those who have needs in our world. Father, I pray for us as we go into this new location where there's a little, it's a little more clear the needs around us. Lord, give us eyes that see and give us hearts that are willing to, to meet those needs. Lord, be with us now as we remember the, the great sacrifice you made for us and cause it 
to spurn in us a, a heart that's willing to sacrifice for others. In Christ's name, amen.